welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 292, Government and Wild Turkeys, with Joel Peterson. And I am your co-host and the guy who bought a new grill this past weekend and is dying to cook something on it already. And I'm your co-host and the guy who is researching how to set up his bow for archery fall turkey hunting. Hmm. So what kind of grill did you get? I bought a pit boss pellet grill. Stepping in high cotton, huh? Well, my Weber gas grill So I had a a Weber Genesis for years and watched as the years went by, it slowly rust away and fall to pieces. Even with the grill cover on it for the majority of the past, I don't know, seven years, eight years that I've had the grill. You know, I'm, I'm not knocking Weber, but my thought process on grills has changed because I could have spent... $250 250 or $300 on just a no-name grill. Yeah. Let it wear completely out in three years or four years. Throw it away and go buy another one. I could have done that and I believe come out cheaper and gotten more years out of my grill than I did that Weber. Hmm. Because be. every year, all, after about year two, every year I've had to spend about $100 on grates, burner covers, burners, you know, it's just been one thing after another after another with the grill. And then when the door to the cart that the grill sat on rusted off and fell off, and I looked inside, and the bottom shelf of the cart, the inside of the cart, had rusted out and was about, I don't know, 40% gone. Mm. I thought, okay, I can buy a new cart, or I can just go get a grill. So... The old Weber is getting retired. Very nice. Sounds like it served admirably. Went through a lot in its life. Yeah. It's been a good grill. Well, hopefully the new one pays off. I've heard good things about those pellet grills for sure. Well, I'm looking forward to cooking something on it. I just have not gotten a chance. Been too busy. Had too much going on. But that will change soon. So where are you going on a fall archery hunt? Wherever the gobblers blow. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm going to find them. I don't know where, but I, I discovered if I can figure out how to kill these suckers with a bow, 
I could pursue the wild turkey gobbler from about September 1st until February 1st. So that's expanding my season quite a bit. That means I'd be able to hunt turkeys more more months than not. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So the only issue I've always had with archery is I just I'm not a good enough shot with a bow to feel confident shooting at a gobbler and hitting him in the vitals. And so I've made the decision I don't really want to do it just because it mars them to high heck, but I'm going to shoot it at the head and use one of these big broadheads that kills them if you hit them in the head because I either want to hit him and kill him dead as a hammer or I want to miss. Mm-hmm. So I found a broadhead online. It's got a big blade on it, and the guy even demonstrates that if it hit them in the feathers because of those long blades, like, yeah, it'll probably bruise him, but, like, the bird will be completely fine. So I'm just going to rig up my bow, drop back the draw strength on it, you know, poundage down, make it easy to draw. And I'm just going to shoot. And if I hit him in the head, he's either going to be stone dead or I'm going to miss and he'll be fine. I just, I read too many stories of people losing birds with a bow. And I just can't, I, I just, I know I'm not good enough to shoot at a gobbler, body shoot him and recover him. I'm also colorblind, so I'm not gonna be able to blood trail him. So yeah, I just, I, I need to either hit him in the head or go home so <laughs> yeah and i know that you know but if you look at it the head and neck of a gobbler is probably about the same size if not bigger than the vitals of a wild turkey i mean their heart lung area i mean it's pretty small hmm that's just a thought i had because i mean and you don't have like an aiming point on a turkey at least for me yeah so. i mean that I think it's a good bit easier with a deer. Yeah, you you know, right behind the front shoulder. So, I don't know. It's just a thought I came up with where I'm like, you know, if I shot a gobbler and mortally wounded him and never recovered him, I'd feel pretty low down. So, I'm just going to shoot at his head, and he's either 100% dead or he's 100% alive. (laughs) There's no in-between when you hit him in the neck with a gobbler guillotine thing. Right. So, that's my thought. Won't make for a pretty picture, but hopefully I'll have plenty of pictures to take of, you know, spineless gobblers. Yeah. Well, you know, you could always put the gobbler's rear end towards the camera, fan him out that way, and take yeah. a picture with you smiling with his rear end facing the camera. Yeah. Well, I mean, your over-the-knee picture. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Over-the-knee picture, you could just leave the neck dangling. I mean, the head might not get completely severed, but I just think that's the most humane way to shoot one with a bow, in my opinion, so... That's what I'm going to do. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to going along on some of those hunts with you virtually. I hope so. I hope I, hope I can figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try to learn it. I think fall hunting is an art to it. A lot of woodsmanship, being able to find turkeys. I think if I can learn to find turkeys better in the fall, I'll learn to find turkeys easier in the spring. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so speaking cool. of turkeys, we got... Good show for everybody this week. We do. The, the politicking behind turkeys. You know, I just can't think of a better time to talk politics than yep. right now with all we have going on in this world. Yeah, this is the time to do it. Everybody's really honed in on the politics right now. It's an They're election like, year. Yes. There's some things going on in the country. Yes. And all the while... There are still people in Washington, D.C. working. Yep. Supposed to be, at least. Supposed to be. 
and they are not only working on the big things that we all care about that get so much press, but they work on a lot of the smaller things that we should care about that don't get much press. And so today we've got Joel Peterson on the show, and this is an interview that I recorded in Nashville in February. And Joel is the Director of Government Affairs at the National Wild Turkey Federation. This is his job to represent the NWTF in Washington and to also stay in the know with all the goings-on, with all of the politics that affect the wild turkey and our national forests, our national parks, and Joel does a really good job with this. I'm telling you, when he came and he sat down with me, I think the first thing out of his mouth was, what in the world are we going to talk about for 30 minutes? (laughs) And I said to him, don't worry about it, Joel. I got this. And I think about 40 minutes later, I kind of felt sorry for him because I was wearing him out. I had questions. I had a lot of questions still that I didn't get to ask him. But I wanted to keep the interview somewhat brief because, you know, we're there at the NWTF, at the convention, and he's very busy. And so I didn't want to take up all of his time. But I've got Joel for you guys today. This is some good stuff. Now, I would say that some of this is a little bit dated, but the truth of the matter is with this legislation that we're talking about in the interview, this stuff takes months and months and months, if not years, to get done, which you'll hear Joel talk a little bit about. And so if there's something that you hear in this interview that you think, oh, this would be good, this is something I can get behind and we need to push this, I need to get on the phone with my congressman, with my senator, and let my voice be heard, then do it. I'm not going to say anything else right now. Let's jump in, listen to Joel, and Cameron and I will see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, I've got Joel Peterson with the NWTF with me now, and Joel is the Director of Government Affairs with NWTF, and we're going to talk about something that we all need to be concerned with and I think that you know a lot of us hunters get wrapped up in our own little world and either don't know or maybe we don't want to know all of the things that are going on in DC that affect or can affect what we love to do and that is to hunt, to fish, to trap, to be outdoors, to have the opportunity to enjoy the lands that are our lands that the government has set aside for us, but some parties and some organizations don't want us to have access to to do the things that we like to do. And so I wanted to get Joel on and talk a little bit about that with us today. So Joel, thank you for taking time out of the show. I know it's a busy time for you guys here at the NWTF. Yeah, it is. And I'm glad to be here, though. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and chat with us and, and educate us a little bit more. So thank you for that. So I guess let's start, probably the easiest thing to do is start with the 30,000-foot view. Where are we as hunters in the world of politics or legislation? I mean, are, are 
I think it's safe to say just politically in this country it's about split 50-50. Yeah. Are you seeing that what we enjoy doing, that the people that are for it, the proponents and the opponents of it are about 50-50 as well? Or you think maybe it's not quite that much? Uh, what do you think? So, so it's interesting. I, I do a lot of work with federal government affairs in Washington, D.C. And while we see in the news how partisan it is and how difficult it is to get any of the I would say the big stuff passed. You know, talking health care, tax reform, those things are really contentious. Yeah. But it's it's really been surprising and pleasing to see how when we talk about the conservation space that there's really been a good bipartisan effort and we've had a number of good wins over the last couple of years that are moving things forward for hunters and for conservation and and for the opportunity to recruit new hunters into the fold and and all of those things so while there is definitely a split i think that that conservation space is still one that is bipartisan and we have the opportunity and we're and we're seeing things get done there that's great. I thought and still kind of think nothing is getting done in D.C., yeah. but, you know, I guess when you're dealing with specific agencies, you don't get as much of that bickering and arguing within the agency as you do between the branches of our government, yeah. Senate, sure. House, and right. the presidency. So, but we still like with the Farm Bill, and you and I were talking about that before I started recording, mm -hmm. we still have to have those branches get along well enough to be able to pass something like the farm bill so right. that's yeah. encouraging and, and, to hear and you say that yeah, the Farm Bill, is, you know, it's its a huge piece of legislation. As we heard uh, Secretary Perdue talk on stage today, it's not just a Farm Bill, but it's a conservation bill, and it's a nutrition bill, and it's everything right. else. Yeah. And so it, that's disadvantages and, ad, it, and an advantage to us when we're trying to pass one because there's something in this huge bill for everybody out there in society. Uh, and we are fortunate that through the work of conservation organizations, the NWTF and our partners in Congress, they get that the conservation is a big part of this. It gets frustrating sometimes because SNAP, for example, the food stamps yeah. is included in the farm bill. Yeah. It gets really contentious. And so we always hear the talk about, well, let's pull it out. Let's pull the conservation side out and let them argue over that. Unfortunately, I don't think we can do that. As important as conservation is to us, when you're talking to these elected officials, many of them who do not hunt, do yeah. not fish, and becoming from more and more urbanized areas, our issues really struggle to carry the day and move on their own. And so it's important that it's coupled together. But uh, the Farm Bill was passed in 2018. It was probably one of the best ones we've ever had passed for conservation. Uh, we bumped up that spending levels in the conservation title and in the forestry title to levels where we had seen in a long time. The CRP program, Conservation Reserve for example, that program went from a 23 million acre cap where it was uh, at the end of 2018 to by the end of this farm bill in five years we'll be able to enroll 27 million acres into CRP again. And so there's some great successes in there. It's um, amazingly 
the process is slow. Government works slow, right? Yeah. So yeah. we are just now, a, a year later, starting to see the rules come out about how they're going to implement this and the the enrollments and all that. So it's a frustratingly slow process to get it rolling, but there was a lot of changes in this one, and so the agencies have got to get it right. The, the frustrating part for me is that within the next year, the conservation community is going to start getting together again and talking about what do we need to do for the next for the one? Next it's, one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a long, arduous process, and we talk for three to four years about what we need to get done, and then we spend a couple of years trying to get it done. And at the time it gets done on these bills that recur like this, you know, we got to start over again. Yeah. So, so job security in a way, I guess, but yeah. not one that I like. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt, and and with the political environment the way that it is you don't ever know what it's going to be like next go round so that's got to be a little bit of frustration for you yeah, there yeah that that's right i mean like i said right now there's good bipartisanship on the, the conservation issues uh, and certainly this administration has been a huge friend to conservation right. uh, what the department of the interior has been doing uh, just with their access uh, programs they opened up something like 1.7 million acres to either expanded opportunities or new access on national wildlife refuges across the country in the yeah. last year. That's a huge That's lick for us. Uh, it ties directly to what we're doing with NWTF through Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt, and wanting to open up areas to get more people out there. So it's been a great opportunity there. They're dedicated to it. In fact, just this week, they put out another call to the community, to the conservation community, but even broader than that. Hey, we, we've taken one whack at this. Tell us where we need to do more. So they're actually wow. looking for input from the public right now to see where they can do more. And in addition to opening it, they've streamlined the regulations on those wildlife refuges so that they're more aligned with the state Thank agency you. regulations. Yeah. So, you know, if you're if you're duck hunting on a refuge and state land right next door, you can carry the same number of shells. Uh, you know, there there used to be some nonsensical regulations out there that if you're on a wildlife refuge, you can't have more than 15 shells on you at any one time. Yeah, you know, things like that. That just we're a real barrier to folks, and so I, I think that's a great example there. The the Department of Ag, who we work with a lot, which includes the Natural Resources Conservation Service and the U.S. Forest Service, the things that they've been doing to to try to get more work done on the ground more quickly through providing tools and for e easing the, the process that they have to go through for their environmental reviews. Still adhering to everything that they need to do, but trying to streamline those processes and really change the culture within that agency that they will go step by step and check the box, can we do it the easiest way through yeah. what's called a categorical exclusion on this and move on, something that takes a few months, or are we going to have to do a full environmental impact statement, which right now takes them four to five years to get done? And there's reasons they have to do those, but the culture in that agency over the years, in some cases, has become, uh, we're probably going to get litigated, so let's just jump right in and do the EIS and take off. So we really applaud the agencies for trying to do some things like that that will really help not only sportsmen, but for us creating the habitat so that we've got the game out there that we want to enjoy as sportsmen. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty neat. So before I recorded, you and I were talking about the Farm Bill, and it's a five-year 
plan. Yep. So every five years you're back negotiating this. Just your personal opinion, and you may say, nope, not giving it, it doesn't <laughs> matter, period, end of story. Is that something that you would like to see that was not five years and maybe it was eight years or ten years? Or do you think that's too long of a period of time because of the way because it is so encompassing and I think a lot of us common citizens that aren't involved in in governmental affairs as much as you are don't understand exactly how all encompassing that farm bill is because it's what Secretary Purdue said. I mean it is yeah. farm, it's conservation, it's you know, welfare. Yep. Right. I mean, that, what are your yeah, thoughts on so, that? That's got to be frustrating <laughs> to have five years and you spend four out of those five talking about the next one. Yeah, it, certainly for, from that aspect it is. Just speaking to that from the conservation standpoint, hunters know because they're out there in the field, conditions change. What yeah. you need to do changes. And if you have a farm bill like that, and so when we talk about what the farm bill does, the biggest thing that that does is it sends money to private landowners through programs to take care of conservation needs on their properties. And so it, it's trying to be responsive to the needs of the private landowners as well as to the needs of the resources. If we stretch this out to eight or ten years, we lose a lot of that responsiveness. So while as somebody that works in it and, and tries to get the language crafted so it'll be the most beneficial, it is a challenge to have to start thinking about the next one before the first one is fully yeah. implemented. But I think we'd lose the responsiveness that we have if tried to stretch it out yeah. to be longer. Yeah. So I would imagine it helps too with the fact that the NWTF is so involved along with its conservation partners and the other organizations like yeah. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation mm -hmm. and Quill Unlimited or Pheasants Unlimited or for yep. what, Pheasants Forever. Pheasants Forever, yeah. So that's that's got to be beneficial as as well, and you know the so I'm I'm sure that a lot of our legislators know that you're going to be that the NWTF is going to be in contact with them and actively involved in getting this at least conservation part of that bill crafted and put together. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely, and and you know it's interesting that you mentioned the other groups. Um, Sometimes people think that we're in competition with each other, and yeah. you know, in some ways, you know, I guess when it comes to the fundraising, maybe sort of, but I don't really see it inside the organization. And certainly, when it comes to conservation policy, uh, we don't always see eye to eye on things. We don't all have the same priorities, right. but our overall priority of good conservation is there. Yeah. And so NWTF has been a member of a, a consortium of these groups that we call the American Wildlife Conservation Partners since it was started 20 years ago. And in a nutshell, what that group does is we get together on a regular basis and we talk about the issues that are important to our organizations. And NWTF is looked to as a leader in forestry related issues because turkeys depend on trees and yeah. so that's an area that we've really focused on we try to learn from ducks about what the water issues are and where we can be supportive and so yeah. we lend each other support but we work off of each other's strengths and we agree to disagree but we don't try to undermine what the other groups need and so yeah. it's been a great way to have good communication but also bring the power of the sportsman's voices that these 45 organizations together can bring you know hundreds of thousands or millions of supporters behind a letter that we send or the talks that we give uh, as opposed to the NWTF just coming forward with, with our 230,000 voices behind that. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. So you touched on a, a few of the great things that are happening within our federal government, and that being the National Wildlife Refuges being open, yep. offering that additional access. The probably, and a lot of people have said this, the best farm bill that we've had in quite some time, if not ever. Yep. Are there any other big wins that we've had recently or that you see or yeah. I know you don't want to curse it by saying it out loud, but yeah. you know, might be within the next 12 months coming coming down the pipe. Well, I've learned to never predict what Congress might do, but I mean, with, I can see that. Yeah, but yeah, I think there are some opportunities here. I'll touch on a couple of the the big wins that we've had over the the last couple of years. So, as I said, we we work a lot with the Forest Service our biggest partner uh, so we've focused a lot on policy related to to them and their ability to do their job back in march of 2018 in the omnibus budget bill mm-hmm. well, there was a, a a piece of legislation that was included in that that the community calls the fire funding fix so in a nutshell what had been happening for 20 years the cost of fighting wildfires by the forest service was increasing more and more and more every year and the agency had to budget for that every year. So over two decades, the amount of money that they had to fund to firefighting continued to increase where their overall budget was staying relatively flat. So all the other things that the agency wants to do and that we want them to do was going down. Do it, yeah. And so it was putting a real crunch on there. So. NWTF, a number of the groups that I've mentioned, as well as organizations like the Nature Conservancy and the Conservation Fund, we all got together and advocated strongly for a fix. And so what happened with that, and the reason I'm talking about it now is it just took effect with the 2020 budget, that capped for the Forest Service, they have to take the 2015 amount that they budgeted, and that's all for the next 10 years that they have to budget for firefighting. And Congress created a disaster fund that they can have access to to pay for those fires costs above and beyond that average. And that allows then the Forest Service to, to as we move forward, to lock in that they don't have to budget for growing yeah. so they can put more into some of the other areas. Yeah, so for that's what a, they're supposed to be doing. Correct, because, because, be. because what, what's hurt has been things like forest management, infrastructure, taking care of the roads that get us out there on the forests, uh, the recreation programs. If you spend any time at all on national forests, you know a lot of the campgrounds have been shut yeah. down over the last five to ten years. Yeah. It's, all, it, it's all tied back to this fire funding. And so we, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, you know, just as an example of how it's been affected, over the last 20 years, the fire part of the budget and the staffing for fire has increased by about 135%. While when we talk about the the staffing for forest management, for foresters, and even the people that do the contracts and review that and uh, do the inspections and all all those things that they have to do to do it, it's gone down by about 54%. So the capacity has gotten really out of whack. So that's an area that we're talking about now. Okay, we've solved part of this. We're not having to continue to budget more and more for fire. But now we've got to tell the story and make sure that Congress understands that we still need to bump up these budgets and help the Forest Service restore what they lost over the last couple of decades. And I think that's an area that people are starting to understand. So I I don't know that we'll get that done in 12 months because that's going to take a budget and we're already well into the 2021 budget. It was just introduced by the president this week. So we're starting to focus on the 2022 budget. So we're looking a year out, but I think there's progress to be made there on that one. 
Yeah. Another huge win that we've had for the state wildlife agencies and the NWTF because of our R3 efforts, the recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters, uh, was after several years of working on this, we finally got what we, the short name was the Pittman-Robertson Modernization Act. Yeah. And that was just passed here at the end of the year. It, again, with the spending bill, this was a, something that was bipartisan that because of several years of work and educating the legislators about it, they got it and they understood the need for it. So they just attached it onto a spending bill. Uh, that's how a lot of this stuff gets done, unfortunately. Uh, our stuff in particular doesn't necessarily have enough to, to move on its own. Yeah. But if we can do the education, it can get attached to other things. But So to give a little history on the Pittman-Robertson Act, I think this crowd is probably pretty familiar. But the short, the short history of the Pittman-Robertson Act is that in 1937, hunters in this case, sportsmen, and the firearms industry all got together and said, we have a crisis for wildlife. We need to figure out how to fund this. And so hunters and the sporting manufacturing community got together and basically said, Congress, put a tax on us. We want to pay for this. So the firearms and the ammunition that we buy now are taxed at uh, generally about a 13% rate. And that money goes into, it's held in trust by the Fish and Wildlife Service, but it's doled back out to the states to do the conservation work on the ground, hunter education sort of things. And that's doled back out to the states based upon the number of hunting licenses they have, land mass, general population, formula that dictates how that comes back out. Right. And that's been great. That's a primary means of funding conservation over the years. In 1937, Nobody thought ever that we'd be facing a shortage of hunters and shooters. And so nobody thought about the fact that, you know, we at, someday down the road, we might need to recruit new hunters into this. So surprisingly, it's really difficult to use Pittman-Robertson dollars, or it was, to do recruitment of hunters or recreational shooters. Those, they could do some through hunter education, but you, you couldn't do something like we've seen on the fishing side with the Take Me Fishing ad campaigns. Right. That ad campaign on the fishing side is done through Dingle Johnson funds and some of those that can be carved out to do recruitment of fishing, yeah. uh, of fishermen. But it's not for hunting. That was written into the law in the Dingle Johnson Act, which is the counterpart to the Pittman-Robertson that was passed in the 50s. They saw the potential need. The Pittman-Robertson Act basically just came in and said, We've got a crisis. We can't do what they can do with the fishing side of this. We need to do it for the hunting side. And so that opened it up, and it's now given the states the opportunity to be able to do that. And the speaker we had at our conservation lunch today, I think the number he threw out was this could mean uh, something somewhere in the neighborhood of $110 million annually. And that was probably just to his agency in South Dakota that he could free up to do marketing wow. and outreach efforts to try to recruit hunters. So this is a huge win for the NWTF, for conservation in general, and, and it's going to allow us to do some of the things we've seen on the fishing side. And really, I think 
focus on, evaluate some of the efforts that have been going on, and just get better at this over time. So yeah. when we talk about big wins for conservation, that's right up there with the biggest we've had in a long time, yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I, I mean, that's $110 million for that one state. I, I mean, if you're talking about I, that I one. think that's correct. I, I Okay. I don't. I don't recall all the numbers, but, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it's a big about number. That on a national level, that's yeah. a lot of money on a national level. Yeah. yeah. But if it frees up that for advertising and just general recruiting yep. procedures for hunters and or programs for hunters, that's huge. That's right. Huge. And, and like I said, it just it's one of those things that the people that wrote the Pittman Robertson Act back in the 1930s, because everybody hunted back then, Who'd right? Have Who'd have thought there'd be this exactly. thing that Al Gore invented called the internet that, you know, would spawn video games and right? Yeah, yeah. It, they they just it was such a part of the lifestyle back then. They didn't envision that they would need that, and so I think it's great that our elected officials saw that. It yeah. took four or five years for us to get it done, but it's done now, and now we're getting it implemented, and within the year, we're going to start seeing the benefits of that. Yeah. So that's great. That's awesome. That's very exciting. Yeah. It, I, it's great news. We're yeah. really excited about yeah. it. Yeah. So I hate to go from positive to negative. Uh-huh. What, in your opinion, are some of the, I'm not going to say we talked about wins, and I don't want to use the term losses, but areas that we didn't get what we wanted to get, or areas that you are concerned about yeah well funding is always a concern and this is where I, I i wish i had my notes so i could make sure my numbers were correct but the the part of the federal budget that goes to conservation 30 40 years ago it was about three percent of the entire budget now it's around one to one and a half of the entire budget so that discretionary spending that we have to spend on kind of conservation in general has just declined. Yeah. And, you know, I talked about the Forest Service earlier and, and how the fire funding had affected that. We may not have seen that drastic of effect if the overall funding for the Forest Service in this example would have continued to go up yeah. and been maintained even at that 3% of the overall spending of the government over time. And so that's an area that as a community I, we've not been successful yet. It's an area that we need to learn how to tell that story better and it's an area that we can continue to fight for. But. You know, again, as important as conservation is to us, when you think about what the elected officials have to deal with, and they've got defense, and they've got education, and they've got medical, and everything else, it's kind of hard to fault them for not putting the money into conservation. I, I don't say that lightly, because it is so important to us and what we do. But I think it, it at least gives you a little understanding as to what we're up against yeah. uh, when we, we're trying to fight for conservation funding. Yeah. Okay. So you would say that that's number one it, kind of not real loss, but yeah, a, it's, a yeah. concern. It, well, I mean, it, it's been a slow loss over the yeah. years that we've seen that erosion. So it, it certainly is a loss. Um, and we, we just, we've got to do a, a, a better job on that. What about... I guess specifically is the NWTF working on now that you feel like will benefit us hunters and not just us members of the NWTF but us hunters in general and I know it's you know what we talked about a minute ago it's not just turkeys 
you know, but it's going to be all these other critters that, that we all pursue. Yeah. So there's a number of things here. Let me start off kind of in general, conservation world as a whole. There is a bill that's been introduced for a couple of Congresses now, and it's making its way through this session as well. It's called Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Uh, just like I was talking about Pittman Robertson modernization now being a big boon for recruitment retention efforts, this bill, if passed, could be a game changer for conservation similar to what happened when the Pittman Robertson Act was passed in 1937. What this legislation would do is it would take existing monies that uh, have been collected and it would take these monies and dedicate them to conservation. And would go through this Pittman-Robertson Act that would be doled out to the states on formula. But what we're talking about is 1.3 to 1.4 billion, with a B, annually, going to the state wildlife agencies for them to focus their efforts on the species of greatest conservation need, those species of concern, threatened species, endangered species, yeah. or those that are in danger. And kind of the idea behind it, this is we need to get some funds out there so that we can keep common species common, take care of them before they end up in the emergency room of the Endangered Species Act right. and be enlisted where it costs a lot more, and do great things for conservation. And this is passed the House Committee on Natural Resources a few weeks ago in a bipartisan manner. It's awaiting a vote on the House floor. A little further behind in the Senate, but this is one that it's probably got a couple more years before we can get it done, but this could be a real game changer. And so we're putting a lot of effort into that, and our members will be seeing more and more about that in coming years and probably get an action alert from us saying it's time to call your elected official and let yeah. them know that we need this to happen. Yeah, it goes to, it doesn't necessarily go to the game species, but we know when you do habitat work for one thing, exactly. it benefits a lot of other things out there. So I think, I think that's one. Another one that I don't think people give a lot of thought to are, is infrastructure. We hear a lot about the Park Service and the infrastructure backlog that they have. Right. 10 to 12 million, I think, is the most recent number. Talking about the roads and the buildings and things like that. What a lot of people don't know is that the Forest Service has a backlog of over $6 billion. Wow. And they have over 200,000 miles of roads, I believe, that are in disrepair that have been closed or they're in danger of being closed. That right. affects our ability to go in there and manage the timber. It affects our access for sportsmen to get out there. So it's affecting the recreation opportunities. Because these roads are in disrepair, the culverts are in disrepair, it's causing water quality problems. It's causing endangered species problems, particularly with fish in some of these areas. So this is an area that I think a lot of sportsmen don't think about, but we're starting to put a lot of focus on is we got to make sure that the Forest Service gets their fair share. I will say the natural resource agencies in general get their fair share of transportation funding and infrastructure funding to take care of these things because it's more than just having that road open to get in there. It will help address a number of challenges that the Forest Service and the BLM have, as well as provide sportsmen's opportunities. So that's an area I think that people don't think about a lot that we're getting involved with. I mean, there's there's so much good stuff in this, and, you know, and I, you may have the attitude of people aren't going to be interested in this, but people are interested in this. Oh, I mean, it's, I, very it, yeah. it's, it's I, I just, you know, again, I think the average hunter goes to work, comes home, spends time with the family, pays the bills, 
Saturday rolls around, they're loading up and going to the woods, and they don't think about all the stuff that has go gone on and is going on yeah. to make all of that possible. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a really good point and something I've thought about a lot over my years of doing this. Um, there are a lot of organizations out there that are are fighting against the conservation measures that we are trying to put in. We deal with it on the forest management side, which is kind of our space that we deal with. There's there's a lot of litigation challenges yeah. right now, oh, yeah. particularly in the West, with just a, a, a different mindset. If you're going to go out and do something, it's got to be bad if you're going to go cut trees. Well, it's not. It's it's not. But people don't understand that. But the solution is not necessarily to learn, it's to file a lawsuit. Right. And there's a lot of organizations out there that actually make a lot of money for their organization filing the lawsuits because the federal government has laws in place that says a nonprofit organization should have access to the courts to be able to hold us accountable. And so they will pay the court fees and the lawyer fees and yeah. everything for these organizations. And so that's a real challenge for us. But I, I guess I come at that to make a... a another point that there are organizations out there that are thinking every day about how they can use legislation or the courts to get what they want right sportsmen on the other hand their passion is to get out in the woods and sit in a tree stand or tromp through the fields after pheasants turkeys whatever it is they don't want to think about all that other stuff their passion is let's go in the field and enjoy it but there are organizations and individuals out there that their passion is let's figure out how we can deal with legislation yay isn't this fun and even though I deal with it every day I would much rather be out in the woods no, but our CEO Becky Humphreys who's got a long history in this talks all the time about the power of the pen and I think that sportsmen need to be vigilant in this they need to pay attention to what's going on because Things are working against us, and oh, yeah. the power of the pen can shut down what we've got in a heartbeat, or it can open up great opportunities. And I'm not telling people they need to get out of the woods and spend their Saturday tromping around Capitol Hill at the state right. level or yeah. the national level, but they need to be engaged. They need to be listening. Uh, for NWTF members, we hope that they're signed up for our newsletters and our action alerts. We don't use them on a regular basis because we want to be the wise voice, not the loud voice. Yeah. Right? We, we're not going to send one out every week just to let you know that we're thinking about something. When we send these out, it's time to act because in our estimation, it, the time is right and the, the timing for your voice to be heard is right to really make a difference. And so if people will pay attention to that, that's important. I mentioned they shouldn't, didn't need to go to the Capitol Hill on Saturday. When we talk about state legislation, those folks, those legislators in most cases have another job somewhere else back in the community yeah, where they live. True. They're a businessman, they're an attorney, whatever they are, they are in your community all the time. And we have, folks have relationships with them, or you can easily make them. Those people want to hear from you. So it's not like you got to take a day off from work and go to yeah. Capitol Hill and make your voice heard, you can go to the Rotary Club meeting that they're at. You can go to their town hall. And they like to talk to people that aren't talking about aliens that are coming in and needing to wear the tin hats to keep the electric waves from, you know... Flat earthers. Right, exactly. <laughs> so that, 
they like talking to reasonable people. And so there, there's great opportunities in that local community that's easy to make sure that they understand what conservation is about, what sportsmen are about. I gave a presentation to 500 of our key volunteers uh, just yesterday. And one of the things I talked about with them was get those folks out and show them the work that you're doing on the ground. Yeah. Take them out and show them when we do a timber harvest in your backyard. Show them what it looks like so they don't think that it's a hundred acres with no trees left standing and it's, it just looks like a bomb went off. Right. That it's it's much more science based than that and, and you've got trees standing, you've protected the streamside zones, all of those things. Or get them out to a mentored hunt so that they can see how safe it is to introduce these people and they understand better hunting. One of the best things that sportsmen can do to make a difference is to be proactive and educate these folks. Because as we all know, sometimes this stuff happens and it happens fast. And if people, if our elected officials don't have a basic knowledge of what we are doing, or they don't know who to call, they're going to listen to the first door that comes in. Yeah. I think one of the things yeah. that we have been able to do as an organization on Capitol Hill in D.C. is we've come with a lot of credibility. Uh, not only do we advocate, but we put the work on the ground. And as we've talked to folks about that, and as I've gone in and have shared with them that I'm not a political science major, I am a wildlife biologist. I right. spent 20 years in the field doing this work. So... You know, hopefully they believe what I'm talking about a little bit. It's given us more credibility. They now pick up the phone and they say, okay, this is what's happening. What do you think? How can we make it better? Our volunteers, sportsmen in general, can do that same thing at their local community and make it known, hey, there's some people out here that can help guide you so that they know who to call when it comes up. Instead of trying to play catch up in that 48 hours we have from the time a bill gets introduced to the time it gets hurry up and pushed across the floor to yeah. take something away from us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's awesome. That was actually going to be my last question for you, <laughs> was going to be what can we do, you know, yeah. to, to help this process along. And, yeah. and I think that's a great way to, to end this, this interview. And, you know, I would love to keep the line of communication open between you and me and absolutely you know if something comes up and you feel like hey this is you know something that our members need to know about you know or hunters in general need to know about i'd love to have you on any time to talk about this and you know i think it's such an it's just an interesting topic that you know again i think we all a lot of us take it for granted and and i would imagine there's probably some days when you wake up and you're planning on getting out in the woods and all you think about is just going into the woods and that's your day to disconnect and yep. forget about it. And I hope that you are able to do that and not think about all the stuff that went, all the politics and all the legislation and all the chit-chatting and phone calls and begging and pleading and compromising that had to go into you being able to get out there and do what, you, right. what you're doing. So. Well, I try to do that, but you know, I actually, when I get out there, it, it also gives me the chance to reflect, and I hope that others do it as well, and think about the the people that have been doing what I'm doing, were doing a hundred years ago and fifty years yeah. ago, 
to make it possible. The people that advocated for the Lacey Act in 1907, yeah. that yeah. helped stop the, the decimation of wildlife out there, that helped to create the duck stamp that has preserved millions of acres of land across this country, the folks that created the national forests as well as the national parks and had the foresight to do that. Politics and, and legislation has played a part in what we are doing and why we are able to do it now for the last hundred years. And so I'm not sitting here suggesting that people get out there and they start thinking about what can they do to move it, but I, I do think it's fair to ask them to reflect on what people were doing a dec uh, decades ago to make sure that we could do what we're doing now and how do we make sure that we can pay that forward by being engaged and pay that forward to the next generations that we're trying to bring along in this. Yeah, awesome. Joel, thank you again. I really do appreciate it. This has been great. All right, well, thank you. I look forward to speaking with you again. And uh, Sounds good. Me too. Yeah. All right, well, don't work too hard the rest of the show. I hope you're able to get a little R&R uh, &R time. I don't Probably know on happen. Sunday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a good time. We love seeing our volunteers here and, ha and seeing folks have a good time. And uh, they leave here energized for the upcoming hunting season and our banquet season which is uh, oh, really yeah. going to kick off here in the next uh, couple of weeks yeah. around the country and uh, it, we got great volunteers that have done a lot for conservation and a lot for hunting and I have no doubt that they're going to rise to the challenge that we have and uh, dealing with the public policy arena as well yeah. so thank yeah. you so much for having us thank thinking you, about this yes sir glad to do it thank you what'd you think a lot going on in the world that we don't even know is happening, you know? That's none kind of, of my this, biggest takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I would say none of this really catches the headlines, but as hunters, you and I knew about the national parks that were being opened for hunting. Mm hmm But we look for that stuff, too, because a lot of that we do for the show. Yes. The Farm Bill, okay, that gets headlines because it is so far-reaching that bill is so intertwined with so many different departments and so many different facets of our economy and our lives that the farm bill gets press but you know some of these other things just don't get a lot of attention and they're important for conservation and for hunting and fishing so i'm going to tell you when i was interviewing joel mm -hmm. tammy was sitting at the booth with me and for you guys who don't know who Tammy is, she's my wife. And she's very, I'm not going to say disinterested in turkeys because turkeys mean a lot to me. So because I'm so interested and so enthralled with turkeys, she knows way more than she ever thought she would know about turkeys. <laughs> kind of has to. Huh? <laughs> yes, yes. And so she, after I interviewed Joel, she looked at me and she said, wow that was good that i had no idea that all of that went on and is so involved and that the national wild turkey federation is so involved in it and that all of those things touch hunting and wild turkeys and she's she was just she was like i mean that was eye-opening so i thought that was pretty cool yeah i think that's one conversation i'm pretty sad i wasn't there obviously i was pretty sad i wasn't at the NWTF were all the conversations, but that one, getting to listen to it, I just, I don't know. It's something I don't think about, I guess, enough is the legislative part of our conservation of this bird, and that's a big deal. 
I mean, that's a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of, I don't know. I guess I just kind of think, you know, public land's out there and I can go show up whenever I want. It's going to look the way it does and hope it's nice. There's a lot more goes into it than that. And hopefully with him up there fighting for us and then you got, I mean, I think they're about to open up another 2 million acres or something on refuges in addition to the 1.2 million from last fall. So we're getting some expanded opportunities for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I'm I'm definitely appreciative of anyone who will go fight the legislative battle for the wild turkey because I Ooh. can imagine that's probably not the easiest of jobs. <laughs> no. I can't no. imagine anything legislative's easy, but I'm sure he's having to talk to a lot of people, and it's not just the wild turkey. I mean, they're fighting for lots of conservation, but a lot of those people just don't have the viewpoint of a outdoorsman hunter. So I'm sure that can get kind of tough. Yeah. Well, you know, you heard him say when we were talking that the farm bill pretty much takes about five years to get done. Yeah. And that as soon as the ink dries on one, they're working on the next one. And that, that blows my mind. Yeah, I can't. That, that is unreal. I mean, there's just... I don't know. That was a great interview. That, that really was. A, I can't believe he didn't think he'd have enough to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> he has plenty to talk about. You know, I think that probably where he was coming from primarily with that comment is, you know, how is this going to be interesting? Yeah. And for those of us who are just rabid about turkeys, it's interesting. Yeah, I could see, you know, this type interview may not be as appealing to all listeners you know especially newcomers to turkey hunting things like that but people who really are into it and are really worried about the conservation around the country they're going to enjoy a conversation like this it's kind of eye-opening and you get to hear insight into what's happening that you don't usually get to hear so yeah yeah i think it went well i appreciate the nwtf i think they're i think they're doing good work for us i hope they continue and i'm glad Someone else is doing that job. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, yes, we're indeed. postponing the call of the week tip, right, until January. January, when we'll get the next one. But we do have a little bit of housekeeping, and that is our two finalists for the owl hooting contest have got to be like, come on, man. <laughs> Quit dragging us out. They don't even out. know who they are, so... <laughs> <laughs> so... Preston Pittman, we have a time scheduled with him, with Cameron's schedule and my schedule and Preston's schedule. It was very difficult to work out a time to get all of us together for this week, but it will happen next week. And we are going to not only announce the winner of the Owl Hooting Contest, finally, but we're going to interview Preston while we've got him on the phone. Can't pass up that opportunity. That's, that dude is always always a good interview i mean if if you can't glean some information that'll make you a better turkey hunter from preston Pittman, well we need to have you on the show so email andy at iamturkeyhunting.com if you can't learn something from preston Pittman, because (laughs) we'll interview you next week so i'm looking forward to talking to preston i chatted with him for probably 20 minutes when i set up our day and time to get together and you know it is good to catch up with him good to catch up with him so that'll well, be a good one 
Yeah, I'm excited to see who we pick for the Owl Hoot winner. Yeah. I'm always pumped to talk to Preston. I pretty much missed out on 95% of the conversation last time, so hopefully I'll get to actually talk to him a good bit this time. Ready to hear how his turkey season went. Yeah, yep. We'll get an update on that, of course, and see what kind of other goodies, what kind of other nuggets he has for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's all we got for today. How about a favor of the week? Do you have one or you want me to give one or ask for one? Mm. My favor of the week this week is if you're listening to the podcast, which if you're hearing my words right now, you are. <laughs> think of one person who likes to turkey hunt and likes listening to podcasts or has long drives or something at work. Tell them about us. That's my favor of the week. Tell one person and hopefully you're helping them become a better turkey hunter. And in return, they'll probably take you to the best private land turkey hunting spots on earth. That's all I can promise you. So just go tell one person about us that you think needs to hear it and thinks we'll enjoy what we're putting out here. We work really hard on this and I hope you guys are sharing the message because it makes it better on all of us. The more listeners we get, the better it's going to be, I think. Very good. So there's my favorite of the week. And I'm just storing up calling tips for January. Oh, man. They're going to be coming at you rapid fire. Cameron's going to have a whole book of calling tips. <laughs> Woo. We can we can put your book out there and sell it. There you go. Camo's calling tips of the week. I like it. All right. Well, Very good, man. It's been good chatting with you as always, Andy. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And looking forward to circling back around with you and doing a little planning for 2021 turkey season yeah you even mentioned specific states so i know what the remainder of my month is going to look like map scouting <laughs> map scouting i know you hate it there won't be a rock left unturned yeah i believe that <laughs> i absolutely believe that you've seen my google earth files man I I, it's crazy I, um, I would question anyone except you <laughs> You've witnessed it, though. I have. Anyway. I have. <laughs> Very good. So, hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.